Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay. So the joke's going on, I didn't miss that. Uh, so, um, I do want to welcome back Daisy. I know she probably doesn't want us to be welcomed back. So, Daisy has been away for months, doing her best not to come back, but she's had to come home. <laughs> so, it's great having her back, and uh, we're now eating more healthy in like two weeks, or so suddenly eating more healthily um, at home, so it's great to have her back. Uh, you'll know that we've been doing this series around um, the church being born, uh, the early part of the, the Acts, and in our kind of mini evangelistic efforts with the comedy night and the magic show and the picnic, what we're saying is during this season where it's really easy to invite people, invite people. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Um, what we know from reading the book of Acts and many other scriptures is the Holy Spirit came first off to empower the church to witness. And that's a really big thing because what that tells us is that the Holy Spirit didn't come just so that we might experience him or be satisfied and fulfilled, but that we might be empowered to tell others. Jesus did not end his life with his disciples saying to them, now, brothers, hang out together and be friends. He did not say that to them. Just be friends. Just just form what will become known as a holy huddle. Do it, brothers. He didn't say that to them. He says to them, Uh, you will be my witnesses. There is something in it, and I'm going to send the other self, the Holy Spirit, to come to be in you, to empower you to do that. In other words, without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to do that. Yeah, I think somebody prayed earlier, where would I be without your Spirit? Do you know what? That's a very true thing. Where would we be without the Holy Spirit? We certainly wouldn't be able to witness. If you find witness difficult... And it can be difficult. Uh, Part of that might be because, hey, you haven't recognised it's the Holy Spirit that empowers you to do that. You're not empowered on your own. So we've talked about that. We talked last week as the church begins to form that there's no human paradigm. There's no human equivalent to the church. There is no organisation or institution like the church because no other organisation in the same way was formed in heaven and expresses itself on earth. Nothing. Yeah? Nothing else does that. That the DNA of the church does not come from human ideas or institutions. And you'll know, even if you look at other religions, you'll often find with other religions that they start with somebody on earth makes a decision. I saw a vision. I did something. Someone revealed something to me. They always begin with human, with man. It's only the Christian faith that says, I know God did something in heaven that has changed the way we live. Yeah, And so we must understand that, and that's part of what we're about. And then at the end of last week, I talked about the fact that we are on a faith journey. Yeah, That there is a gap between what we, how we live, what we see, where we're going, and that gap is called faith. We bridge it by faith. 
I told the story of my, uh, my previous church and, and how we made a decision that we weren't going to, if you like, really go in faith and we were going to redevelop the toilets at the church. If you haven't heard that story, you, just, you can listen to it online. But, but we are not, we are building the church, we're not redeveloping the toilets. Yeah? And that means we need faith. And faith is that thing of trust and belief in God over and above what we see. So today we come to that passage in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 where God, having, Jesus having spoken to his disciples, having prepared them at the second part of Acts 1 where he, he makes some leadership changes, he does some stuff. At the beginning of Acts 2, he pours out the Holy Spirit upon them. So I'm going to read a few verses from the beginning of that chapter and at the end of that chapter. There are lots of words in here that I can't pronounce. I'll do my best. Yeah, just say that up front. So Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya... Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and the other parts of Libya and near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And they go on and ask, what does this mean? What then happens is Peter uh, gets up among, it says he gets up among the eleven and he preaches the gospel, the first gospel message that that is preached and in verse 37 after he has preached the people say this when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do Peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that sense already of your presence. We thank you that you are are involved here. You're moving us. I thank you for uh, just Martin's testimony of just that encouragement to witness and you providing that opportunity. Lord, I pray each of us would be able to tell such a story of opportunity to witness, to reach out to people. And Lord, we ask for such a blessing on all that we're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. 
It's interesting, um, everyone, we all can get very excited about the idea that 3,000 were added to the church in a day, but I want you just for a moment to think about that and think about our church. Yeah? Let's just think for a moment. Let's not even think about 3,000 people. Yeah? Let's think about 30 people or 60 people and how we would respond if suddenly 60 new people were added to our church. Let me tell you, our first response would be joyful. Yeah, we'd be, oh, praise the Lord, thank you, yeah? Our second response, when stuff gets left on the floor and there's suddenly 30 kids in creche and there's still a rotor to do, but the new people don't know about the rotor, so it's us, will be, oh, my goodness, what's happened? Suddenly, is church for me? Yeah? We can very quickly move from a joyful idea of people being added to what that reality looks like. And I think I've told you this before. I have a confession. It's a sinful confession. When I was at my last church and I was responsible for outreach and mission and all those things and we were seeing people saved and added on a regular basis and I was the one that was involved in, I suppose, I hate the term, but processing them through. I would get cards every week. I remember one Sunday um, uh, somebody made an appeal and 20 people went to the front. Yeah, And I think the church, we were applauding, thank you Jesus. I was thinking, oh my goodness. How am I going to process all those bits? I remember thinking that, and I remember that. How do I dare? How can I think that? When people are making this kind of commitment, how can I think that? But I did, because there was a reality to, to, to that, that difference in our church. And in our church, what would the reality be if 30, 50, 100 people joined us who were not like us, and they got saved in a moment, and they were added to the church? What would that reality be? Because suddenly we would be tested in terms of our desire for the 3,000 to be added. Everyone loves that verse, yeah? Don't you, when you read it, ordinarily you love that verse. 3,000 were added to the church, hallelujah. We couldn't fit 300 in here, so what would we do if 3,000 were added? We'd have to go to the playground, and what if it were raining and we couldn't be in the playground, and people would say, what are we going to do, Owen? And I'd be like, I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah. Some of the problems that come with growth are normal and they're challenging. But you really still want the growth because that's the thing that God does. So anyway, at the beginning, right in this particular passage, I'm just going to pick out three very simple things that are in the DNA of the church at the beginning. So what was involved in this church as it was started, as the church was born at Pentecost, what did they have in their DNA that we must still have in our DNA? And that if we don't have in our DNA, you could question whether we still be church. Yeah? Because we could be many, many things. Yeah? But there are some things that are in the DNA of church that make it church. Yeah? There are some things like, like if I... I love cream eggs, yeah? Yeah, you might be able to tell. I love cream eggs. Um, but if I took out the middle of the cream egg, it ceases to be cream egg, yeah? It's not cream egg anymore. It's something else. It's nice. It might be an Easter egg, because Easter eggs don't have stuff in the middle. But it ceases to be what I think it is. And there are certain things about the DNA of the church that if you take them out, the church no longer is the church, but it's something else. We might still call it church, but it's something else. So we're going to look at three things that were part of the DNA of the church when it was born, and it was born in this passage in Acts chapter 2. The first thing is the church was a community filled with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. 
It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The church was born in the power of the Spirit. As I said last week, there is no human equivalent, there is no human paradigm, because the church is a supernatural, miraculous body of people that God brings together. Yeah, That's what the church is. It's different to any other group. No other group begins that way. If you go onto any website of any club or any social club or whatever, they will not begin that way. Yeah? They will not point to Acts 2 and say, if you read that, you'll understand our beginnings. It doesn't happen. The church is a different thing. And so a community filled with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. A living, breathing community of Jesus followers. They were different to other communities, every other community on the face of the earth, including the Jews. So although Christianity comes out of Judaism, although Jesus was a Jew, although the apostles were all Jews, Christianity comes out of that. And it's different to that. Why? Because you become a Christian by faith. You don't become a Christian by birth, by natural birth. The Bible's very clear about that. You become a Christian by faith in Jesus. If you think you're a Christian because you've always gone to church and your parents have gone to church, you are mistaken. There must come a point where you accept Jesus for yourself by faith. You put your trust in him. That's how you become a Christian. That's what happens here. It's not because you're born that way. Jews, you could be born a Jew. You could be born a Muslim. Yeah? You can't be born a Christian. Yeah? You become a Christian by being born again. Something different happens to you. And Jesus explains that very clearly in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. Do you not know, Mr. Bright Man, do you not know that the way to come in to, to know God is to be born? You must be born again. That's how we come to faith. But God forms this community, this living, breathing community around Christ. It's a community where God dwells. Now, I've talked about there's no human paradigm, but obviously when God was with um, Israel in the Old Testament, how did he dwell with them? He dwelt with them by his spirit, and his spirit was kind of held in like a temple or a tabernacle or, or the Ark of the Covenant. There was something that represented the place where his presence was. Yeah, that is true. That's how, the, that's how they lived. Nowadays, that's not how we live. We don't live with something that represents the presence. We live with the presence of God in our own lives. So God now dwells with people, and he promised that in the Old Testament, and he brings that about in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them together and individually. So again, it wasn't a moment where some people were specially blessed and other people weren't specially blessed. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples when they have come together. It's interesting, we sang that song, which obviously was written quite recently, um, uh, the one about, oh, the last song we sang. No, the one before that. Sorry? Consuming fire, how does it begin? There must be more than this. So as we were singing that, I was imagining the 120 disciples in an upper room singing, there must be more than this. Spirit of God. Spirit of God, we wait for you. And then there's a bit which says, fill us anew, we pray. And there is a moment in that 
New Testament story where the church is gathered in one place and there's 120 of them and they are calling out on God to fill them with his Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's promised he'll do that. He's told them, wait until that happens. They're calling out on God. And together and individually, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are empowered for witness and the first thing they, they do is worship. They worship. So worship is a response of the Holy Spirit coming upon people. Yeah? When it talks about people hearing them speak in different tongues, it talks about we hear them singing the wonders of God, the praises of God. Worship is a response of being filled with the Holy Spirit. They were empowered for witness and they worshipped. And these were now the last days, as Jesus had promised through the prophet Joel. The church is born in power and the hallmark of the Christian and the church is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? So the Holy Spirit is not a give or take. It's not an, uh, you know, well, you know, sometimes some churches are like that, other churches are like this. No, the presence of the Holy Spirit is what makes the church the church. Yeah? It's not anything that we do. It's not the things that we do or the things that we say. So we are to be a community filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're to understand that the Holy Spirit is absolutely and directly connected to Jesus. And how do we know that? Because Jesus says it. Jesus himself says, I will send you another who is like me. Yeah, that the Holy Spirit comes in. It is Jesus coming in a different form to us in order that we might be able to fulfill all that God has for us in this life. It's a community filled with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. The second thing, part of the DNA, so that's in the DNA of the church. Holy Spirit, Jesus, it's in the DNA of the church. The second thing is this, a community set up to reach the world. Yeah? The church was always set up with the intention of reaching the world. It was always set up with an orientation to look outwards. So although when we become Christians and when you join the church, sometimes there seems to be this overwhelming kind of draw towards looking inwards, it was set up in the first place to look outwards, to be an outward-focused people, to be an outward-looking people. That was why it was set up. That was what he had in mind. And Jesus says to them, look, you'll be my witnesses. I've called you, first and foremost, to be witnesses to be an example for people to look and to see something of who I am through who you are. That's how he set it up. And it says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It's really interesting when you understand or you think a little bit about the gospel story, you think a little bit about the crucifixion, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, that happened during the Passover. It could have happened at any time, but it actually happened during the Passover. And the Passover was the moment where they actually remembered the coming out of Egypt, the going into the promised land or coming out into the, um, the desert, where um, the last night before the Jews, before Israel came out, um, God said to them, look, I want you to sprinkle blood on the doorposts uh, of your homes, and when I see that blood, I will pass over you, yeah? The blood will protect you 
because I'm coming into Egypt and I'm going to judge the people. Yeah, But when you sprinkle the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to protect you. That became the Passover. And they would have a meal of a lamb and various other things in order to remember that moment. Yeah, They did it. And they did it for generations. And it's interesting that Jesus died during the Passover. Why? Because he represented the Passover. He became the final lamb. He was the final one who, when his blood was shed, God would look upon us and he wouldn't see us. We would be be protected by the blood of Jesus if we would accept him. Yeah, It's an amazing part of the story that Jesus died at the Passover. Jesus didn't orchestrate his death for the Passover. God orchestrated it because he wanted to make that point. Now, there are three main Jewish festivals Passover is one, and the one that I just want to mention now is called the Festival of Weeks. The Festival of Weeks. And this festival occurs about seven weeks after the Passover. And um, in the normal Jewish calendar, the Festival of Weeks would be a celebration of harvest and the first fruits. You would bring the first fruits of your harvest in and you would you would present them and you would celebrate together and, and Jews it was a big celebration Jews would come from every nation all over they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival this feast it's no coincidence that it was at this festival when pentecost happens so pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon people indiscriminately for the first time, the first fruits, the the new age of the Messiah coming, it happens here. It happens at the same time that the Jews are celebrating the festival of weeks, which is the first fruits of the harvest. Pentecost comes and there's a celebration of the first fruits of the harvest of the Holy Spirit coming. God's not silly. Yeah, God, God's not like, he's not random. What appears random to us is orchestrated by him. Yeah, helpful to know that. Even in your own life, your own circumstances, what appears random, God often orchestrates. Yeah, because he has bigger plans than you and bigger plans than me. So Pentecost is the celebration of the birth of the church. It's new beginnings. It's the birth of the new age of the Messiah. What had been promised was now being fulfilled. And we are part of that. And so it's no surprise then that there were people, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They had come into Jerusalem for this celebration. And remember, I'm saying that this community was set up to reach the world. So because it happens at the Festival of Weeks, suddenly Pentecost takes place in the midst of Jews from everywhere. It wasn't just Jerusalem Jews. It was Jews from everywhere. There's all those names that I couldn't pronounce that the Jews came from. Yeah, And you know what happened? Many of them took that gospel, that message, because those 3,000, I don't believe that they all became just part of that church. Suddenly in Jerusalem, you've got 3,000 people added to the church. Maybe they did, but I imagine some of them took that message and went back home. Yeah? Certainly they believe the church in Rome began off the back of Pentecost. 
Pentecost happens. Jews are converted to Christ. They leave Jerusalem. They head back to Rome and they begin a church. That's how the church spread. And the church was set up to spread like that. Yet God, in his purpose, put it at a point where Jews would be gathered from all nations across the world in one place, into Jerusalem, in order that the church would go. And you read in other parts of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was there. He didn't understand it all, but he was there. It's one of the ways that the gospel is spread. You see, I don't know how many of you think this, but I just want to debunk it. Christianity's aim is not to take over the world. Did you know that? Our aim is not to take over the world. So that in every, every town there's a church, every school has a Christian head, that our, that our prime minister would be head and all, uh, would be Christian and all that. It's not to take over the world, but it is to present Jesus to the world. Yeah? And in John 3.16, it says, says this, whosoever believes. Yeah? So, so in that sense, the message is really indiscriminate. It can go out, and it's whoever would believe it can receive it. Whoever believes it. We're not here to take over the world, but we are here to present Jesus to the world. That whosoever believes might have eternal life. John 3.16 tells us that. Salvation comes, that we return to relationship with the Father. We are not trying to make society Christian, but we are trying to show the world the kingdom of God. Yeah? We're not trying to make everybody, make society Christian. Yeah? So that it looks like Christian values and good things are happening. That is not really our purpose. Our purpose is to present Jesus. And that whoever would believe it, would believe it. And they would come to him. And that's what happened at Pentecost. Thousands believed. Now, I'm sure that they didn't make a list like we sometimes do of all the names. All those, have you got all the names? The 3,000 added. I'm sure they didn't do that because some of them they would never have met. Some people would have believed and the next day they would have gone. Oh, I'm going back to Egypt. Yeah, And even to this day, some people get saved and they go back to the place that they come from and they, they start churches. They begin something. Acts 2, people gathered in one place to hear the gospel message and they, many took it back to their homelands. People take the gospel to another country. Now, sometimes God calls individuals to go to other countries, but many times God calls people to go back to their country. And when they go back, there's, there's obviously there's lots of barriers that are not there when you go home. Yeah, there's not the cultural barriers that exist. And, you know, when Hudson Taylor went to China, one of, one of the unique things about Hudson Taylor when he went to China, which wasn't the case for most missionaries, is he went to China and he became like the Chinese. Yeah, so he used to dress like the Chinese, as though he were one of them. Yeah, most missionaries didn't do that. Most missionaries just went and presented this gospel. But he went and he became like, as like them. And sometimes you do that, but sometimes God just sends people back. And when they go back, they go back with something in their hearts that they can present to the people. Oh, I always knew there was something. I always knew that there was a message that could, could be changed, that could change people. Because the gospel transforms our culture. Yeah? It's over and above the culture. Yeah? 
And that's why it's really good when people from different backgrounds, as this passage describes, all come and receive the very same thing. They receive it. They see it. They recognize it. Oh, we're hearing them declare what? The wonders of God in our own language. Maybe they'd never heard that before. The wonders of God in their own language. Maybe they'd heard it in Jerusalem before, but they'd never heard it in their own language. Now they're thinking, oh, God has come to men. God has come for us. And that's the fulfillment, isn't it, of Genesis 12, when God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and all the, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. So he does it there. Now, it's arguable that places like London are modern-day Jerusalems. They are places where you could argue staying in London were God-fearing people from every nation under heaven. Yeah? And, our, and our passion and desire is that many of those people would hear a gospel that transforms them, their lives, see a church, see a community that changes their perception that they can go back and they can take a gospel. People do it. And when you do it like that, one of the things that you do, which is really helpful, is you avoid some of the cultural trappings that happen when the gospel just occurs in one community. London is like a modern Jerusalem. The world gathers. We present Jesus to the world. Some will believe and they'll take him back. And then thirdly, it's a community to which people were added. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church grows exponentially on day one. But, but I love the simple phrase which we mustn't lose, those who accepted his message. This is John 3.16 again, whosoever would believe. So, so the gospel is preached indiscriminately to anyone and to everyone. For some people, they will receive it. For other people, they won't receive it. It's really important we know that because sometimes we box our friends into categories of, although they're, they're not ready to receive Jesus. They're very angry. They're not ready to receive. You don't know who's ready to receive Jesus. You can't decide the eternal destiny of your friend because a conversation went bad. You can't decide it. Whosoever would believe. There is something about us putting our friends and our family in a place where they can hear the message because you don't know who's going to receive and you don't know who's going to reject. You don't know. Unless God has specifically told you, no, this person is not ready to receive. Can I just tell you that? So don't feel, don't worry about sharing. You don't know. You don't know where the conversation's going to go. I had a conversation um, with somebody the other day, not, not, not about whether they get saved or anything like that, but I had a conversation where I had assumed I knew what they were going to say. And what they said was the absolute opposite of what I thought they were going to say. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't predict. I don't know what people are going to say. I don't know who's going to believe. What I know is that when we present the gospel, some will accept the message. And that's what we live by. Some will accept the message. So you always present it. You always bring it. And for us, it might simply mean, as it was for Andrew, the brother of Peter, we simply say to people, why don't you come and see? Yeah? Andrew says to his brother Peter, come, come and see. Come and see for yourself. 
For some of you, that's all you need to do. You don't need to go, I just need to understand some truths. Can you give me 20 Bible verses that I can speak into every situation? No, you don't need to do that. You just need to tell people, come and see for yourself. Why? Because God dwells in a community by his spirit, and people will see that. You may not see it, but people will see it. They will see something different. They won't see what you see. Yeah? When you've been in it, sometimes you can lose sight of it. But if you bring someone in who doesn't know, now they might think it's weird, but they will see something. And some will accept, and some may reject The church was always meant to be a growing community. Not like we imagine, though. And you must get this. You don't join the church by filling out a welcome card. Yeah? You don't join the church on joining a rota. As much as we might like that, you don't join the church that way. You don't join the church by coming to church and making friends. That's wonderful, but you don't join the church that way. You don't join the church because you've gone on a membership course. You don't join the church because, you know, um, the church do community activities and you really like community activities and so you get... You don't join the church that way. You don't join the church because um, your parents bring you to church and they say to you, until you're 16, you come to church. And you go, okay, then when I'm 16 and one day, I ain't coming again. Yeah, you don't join the church that way. Because joining the church is not natural or normal, but it's supernatural and miraculous. Yeah? It follows bold, faithful preaching of the gospel, and it requires people to believe by faith. That's how you join the church. You believe something about Jesus. If you do not believe something about Jesus, if you do not accept Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour, then you not be Christian. You're not Christian any other way. You don't come to church. You don't be Christian because you raise your hands in church. You don't be Christian because you understand how church works. That does not make you Christian. You don't even be Christian because you know the 66 books of the Bible. Yeah? Good as that may be, impressive as that sounds, that is not how you become Christian. You become Christian because you believe something. You believe something. And it touches you here. And you accept Jesus. Yeah? And although I may be speaking to all Christians, I want to remind you that that's how you be Christian. Because so often for us, other things begin to affect our understanding and our view of Christianity. We begin to be affected by whether we have friends. We're affected by the rotors. We're affected by our understanding. We're affected by our knowledge or our lack of knowledge. And we begin to think different things. And then you have to remind yourself, no, 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 no. I don't be Christian because I know stuff. I'd be Christian because of Jesus, and I accept him, and he's Lord. That's how I'd be Christian. I'm not Christian because mum's Christian or dad's Christian or because all my mates are Christian. That's not why i be Christian. I'd be Christian because of what Jesus has done. And maybe for some of us, we need to remind ourselves of that, to take our eyes off all the things that go wrong, all the things in church that we're like, oh, no, and we need to remind ourselves, no, 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 church is a supernatural gathering of people who love Jesus. Now, we want people who don't know Jesus to be around the community so that they can meet Jesus. Yeah, That's why we want them around, so that they might also meet Jesus. We don't want them around just so it just gives us more friends. Yeah, And it's not that you, know, you get it. We all want friends, but that's not why we do it. You don't come to church because there are people like you in church. That's not why you come to church. Or if that is why you come to church, you need to think about that. 
You come to church because Jesus calls the people who love him to come together. Yeah? It was a community to which people were added. And they accepted the message, and then what does it say? They were baptised. There's all sorts of controversy about baptism. And I don't want to get into controversy. I just want to say, in the DNA of the early church, people who believed got baptised. That's what it says. That's what we do. If you have not been baptised, let me encourage you now to think seriously about baptism. As a, as a response to your faith in Jesus. Yeah? Now, some of you go, no, I'm not ready for baptism. I'm not ready. Why aren't you ready? Well, I'm not, I don't think I'm quite at the level, the baptism level. Yeah? I just need to tell you there's not a level. Yeah? There's not a level. There's not a kind of, to be baptized, you need to be, you know, that level. No, there is no level. Yeah? The level is, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? If you have, and you have truly accepted him in your heart, be baptised. That's the level. Yeah? There's no other level. There's no other thing. Now, if you haven't done that, don't be baptised. Yeah? Yeah? Don't be baptised because you think, oh, if I become baptised, I become Christian. No. No. You become Christian through faith in Jesus. Because of what he has done on the cross, you recognise the work of Jesus on the cross, what he did for you. You accept him as your Lord and your Saviour. Yeah? And the first thing you do, it says, is you be baptised. So we will have a baptism next term sometime, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptised, put yourself forward and say, I want to be baptised in response to my faith in Jesus. That's what we want you to do. That's what the Bible says to do. So those who accepted his message were baptised and then it talks about many were added. The church is a community of people gathered around Jesus. Yeah? So when you look around the church and you see that there are people that are not like you and maybe you're thinking, oh, who am I going to talk to today? There's no one quite like me in the church. All those kinds of things. You realise, no, it's not about people being like me. The church is a community of people gathered around Jesus. That's the thing we have in common. That's the thing we want to lift up. That's the thing that holds us together. It's not the fact that we've found some other things that we like to do together. We may have done that. But fundamentally, it's because of Jesus and what he has done. He is the centre of the church. And the Holy Spirit builds the church. And he builds you in to it. So, just in summary, the church is not, a com- is not just a community of like-minded people who want to help others. It's not just about friends together. It's not just a place for cool people. Some of you may be cool, but it's not about being cool. Yeah, or finding a cool church or a cool pastor. Don't, it's not about those things. It's not because you think it's a happening place or they seem to do community well. That is, so when you come to church and if you move and you go to university and you're thinking about church, don't be thinking, oh, has it got all these practical? It's not about those things. What is it? It's a community of people centred around Jesus. Paul writes in the book of Romans, how do you be part, become part of that community? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you join the community. Next week, whoever's speaking, will look at what 
does that community look like when people are born that way? What does it look like? But for now, there are these three things. In the DNA of the early church was firstly the offer of salvation. You must be born again. So I say it, though I might recognise all of us, you must be born again. You must be. You must accept Jesus. You must believe on him. You must repent. You must recognise God is big and great and that you are not there to argue with him. You are there to submit and surrender your life to him. You must be born again. There is that offer of salvation for anyone who would believe it. That's the wonder of the gospel. Whosoever believes. I love that phrase. Whosoever believes. And then there is, secondly, in the DNA, the understanding of mission. Are you willing to go? And I don't mean, you don't need to travel to Botswana to be Christian. Yeah? You can travel to Tulse Hill and be Christian. The go thing is in the heart. Am I willing to recognise I have been empowered to witness? To let it be known what Jesus has done for me. To bring people to the place where they can understand and see for themselves who Jesus is. And then the third thing is the, uh, in the DNA of the church was the importance of baptism. Jesus himself gets baptised. The Apostle Paul, when Jesus comes to him, he says, you need to be baptised. And although we might sometimes not like the church, Jesus loves the church. And he says to the Apostle Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you knocking me? Paul says, who are you? I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Every time you you take one of those disciples of mine and throw them into prison and you persecute them, you're doing it to me. That's how Jesus thinks about the church. Is that how we think about the church? So why don't we just bow our heads and I'm going to pray. And it may be that some of us, it's the offer of salvation that we need. And you need to think about that. You may be Christian, but maybe you've you've built all sorts of other things that really stand in between you and the foundation of your faith, which is Jesus. You've made it about other things. Rotors and welcome and church politics and this and that and the other. None of those things in the, in the grand scheme of it matter. They do matter in the moment for us, but they don't matter in the big scheme of God. Yeah. Faithful service on a rotor is good, but it's not what gets you to heaven. Belief in Jesus gets you there. So some of us need to think about that. Others of us need to, need to be shaken from that sense of um, we don't feel on mission. We don't feel called to go. We feel called just to be part of whatever. And for some of us, that's, God wants to say, no, I've empowered you with the Holy Spirit to be a witness. To be a witness. So for us, that's very practical. It means who will you invite to the comedy night? Who will you bring to things? Who will you invite to church? Who will you say to, why don't you come and see? Who will you share with? 
And as Martin talked about, it's not being spiritual in that moment, but it is being open and it is being obedient. So who will you do that with? And then for others, baptism. It all appears very controversial, but it's not really. It's a response to faith in Jesus. So if you have faith in Jesus and you haven't been baptised, let me encourage you to be baptised. Let's stand together and I'm just going to pray. And if in your own heart you're, you're responding to God, you lift your hands, but this isn't a public identification, it's just a moment for you to say, yeah, God, this has spoken to me, and just lift your hands as I pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your church. Thank you that you love your church more than we love the church. You care about your church more than we care about the church. And Father, we thank you for such wonderful uh, testimonies we find in the scriptures of this of the early church and what it looked like at the very beginning. What was in its DNA? How did it begin? And Lord, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit and the power that he brought to the church. We acknowledge that it was all about Jesus and it was built upon his his sacrifice and so father if there are any here who don't know you i ask that they might come to know you even in these moments and if that's you maybe you want to talk to somebody afterwards and say look how do i how do i give my life to jesus how do i come to that place talk to somebody afterwards about that and father i pray for those of us who maybe we've built our lives on something other than jesus we've we've looked at the church and all the things that the church does or doesn't do, and it's, it's frustrated us, it's annoyed us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get realigned again with the foundation of the church, which is Christ. That community of believers, I pray for that. And Father, I pray for those of us who, who need just that encouragement to go, to be a witness to, to ask that you would empower them to witness. I pray for that, Lord Jesus. Any who need it, that they would be empowered even in this moment. And Father, where there are those of us who need to be baptised, we are Christian, we believe, but we haven't yet been baptised. I ask that you would speak to us as well. We ask all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Okay, well, thank you for listening. We're going to finish there. Um, there's going to be tea and coffee. And I know there's a meeting for kids workers or interested kids workers. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.